Well, when our, when our kids were little, uh, we would sit around the, um, the dinner table and uh, Lou and I would eas- ask each of them to uh, share with us their highlight and their low light of the day. And um, we're doing a series on the life of Abraham. And if we were to have dinner with Abraham and ask him to share his low light, I think um, he would refer to what took place in Genesis um, 16 as being probably uh, where he, he bottomed out, where he, um, he really, really um, had a bad day. And um, many years ago, I was reading through uh, Genesis 16, and it just struck me that this was like a soap opera. Um, and we're going to unpack it a little bit. And so what I did was I actually wrote a play, a bit of a farce, um, based on Genesis 16, and I called it Days of Our Wives. <laughs> because it really is... Um, a, a soap opera. And in Genesis um, chapter 16, we, th- we see um, three main characters, or three characters. Firstly, there's Abraham, or as he's called in the story, still, still called Abraham in the story. And in this play, Days of Our Wives, that I, that I wrote, um, I portrayed him as an old man, which he was. He was uh, in his uh, mid-80s. And he wasn't very communicative. Do we have any older men who don't communicate? No, okay. And so in this play, thank you, thank you, um, he spends his time reading the paper. And when his wife, Sarai, talks with him, he kind of looks up from the, from the newspaper and he kind of offers a grunt or uh, he will say, yes, dear. Does that sound a little bit close? Yes, I see some uh, ladies pointing at some men close by, by them. Then the second character in, the, in, this, uh, in the story um, is Sarah, or as she's called in, um, still in Genesis 16, still known as Sarai. And I envisaged her as someone who is a little bit volatile and domineering. And I model Sarah's character on someone who is very close to me. <laughs> Not saying who? not saying who, but I modelled Sarah on somebody who I knew relatively well. Then the third character is uh, Sarai's um, uh, servant by the name of Hagar. What a beautiful name, Hagar. I always think of Hagar the horrible, you know, the <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, in this play that I wrote, I portrayed Hagar as a very young, attractive woman dressed as a French maid because she's a servant. So in this play, I had her dressed as a French, French maid and she had uh, fishnet stockings on and uh, high heels and she was a little bit of a flirt. Now, I did model um, uh, Hagar on Louise, actually. That's, that's how Louise does the, uh, does the housework. <laughs> Don't you, darling? Ah... <laughs> uh, you know what we do? We tend to sanitize the Bible, but it's essential that we somehow make the characters of Scripture come alive for us. And so the way that the, this came alive for us, I, I envisage French maids and old men who don't talk and women who are a little bit volatile and, um, and domineering. 
And we've spoken before about how the Jews um, fill the gaps of the Bible with what are known as midrash. Remember, they, they make up these stories to help explain what might have happened. And that's all I've done is with that story. I, it, who's to say Hagar didn't walk around like a French maid? You don't know. She may have. And, um, and um, we need to exercise our imagination if we're going to meaningfully engage with Scripture. We want to help it to live. Okay, so with these characters in mind, I want us to read through uh, Genesis chapter 16, 1 to 6. It's not very often you're encouraged to think of French maids when you're at church, but this morning that's what I'm encouraging you to do. So Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through to 6, we're going to start there. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. He didn't need a lot of convincing, did he? So Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. Now, um, Hagar has no say in this marriage. It's not her choice. She is a slave, so she is property. That's just the reality of, of this story. So, so Abraham had sexual relations, that's the Bible's way of saying they had sex with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abraham, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And Abraham replied, Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Now that sounds like an episode from Days of Our Lives to me. Huh? And what we see here is a dysfunctional family. And so those of us who come from dysfunctional families, and I, I come from one, and it makes me feel good about my family of origin because I look at this family and I think, well, we have our problems, but so did Abraham and Sarah. So did the father of our faith. He had, he had a dysfunctional family as well, and so we're not alone. And Abraham, Sarai, and Hagar, what they do is they give us a lesson on how not to communicate or deal with conflict. Abraham, as I said, is passive. He responds to conflict with avoidance and abdication. He doesn't want to take any responsibility. Then Sarai, she's into uh, blame shifting. When her idea of giving um, Hagar to Abraham as a wife uh, backfires on her, she points the finger at Abraham and blames him for the mess. Well, it was her suggestion to begin with. Again, she doesn't want to take responsibility. Now, women in the ancient world um, gained their identity from having, having, uh, having uh, uh, children and bearing children and rearing children. And this privilege had been denied Sarai. She's barren and so 
Sarai, and we're going to look at this next week, is a deeply wounded woman. And when Hagar falls pregnant, what, what, sorry, yeah, when Hagar falls pregnant, what Hagar does is she rubs salt into Sarai's wounds and takes pleasure in reminding Sarai of her shortcomings. This is not a really healthy dynamic, is it? And then what Sarai does in response is then she uses her position of power to abuse Hagar. In the, in the Hebrew language, it suggests that there's probably some form of physical violence that's taken his... It's, it's, not, it's not good. And Hagar, in response to this, um, this toxic environment that she finds herself in, Hagar runs away. And so in this story, there are no... Uh, innocent players. No one is behaving maturely. It's a really sad and sorry situation. Now, what's helpful is to understand the backdrop of, of, of why this event took place. You see, 10 years had passed um, since Abraham had received the promise from God that he would receive um, uh, an heir, that he would receive uh, descendants. Ten years is a long time to wait for the fulfillment of a promise. And what I think was happening with Abraham and Sarai is they are starting to question the validity of God's word. And they're frustrated. They're disappointed. Abraham's thinking, I, I'm sure I heard from God, but... Ten years, and my wife is still barren. And so they make a decision from a place of frustration. And I want to tell you this morning, making a decision from a place of frustration is not always the wisest thing to do. Sarah's suggestion that Hagar become a, a surrogate was a, was a culturally acceptable thing to do. Abraham and Sarai were, were, were behaving rationally. They had a problem. It was probably written into their marriage contract that um, if Sarai wasn't able to bear a child, then they could draw upon a surrogate to be a replacement um, a, a child bearer. This wasn't, wasn't unusual. It was, it was par for the course. And so being pragmatic, I, I think being pragmatic is usually, in most cases, is a good thing. But there are occasions when we just have to simply trust God to bring things to pass in God's time, in God's way. So when things um, don't take place how or when we thought they should, there is this propensity within us, within me at least, to try and, and work it out, try to solve this problem in my own strength rather than relying upon God to work it out. But the reality is there are some things that can only come about by God's intervention. Some promises that we have received, only God can bring to pass. And this is part of, for me, is part of the wonder and the complexity of the Christian life. It's knowing 
When do we trust God, which to me is learning to walk in faith, and when should we be pragmatic, that is, learning to walk in wisdom? And, and the Christian life is this negotiation, this tension of, of learning to walk by faith, but also being pragmatic and learning to walk in wisdom. Does that, does that make sense? And there are times where to walk by faith contravenes everything that is wise and sensible and pragmatic and rational. And there's certainly been times in our lives where it just doesn't seem that we've done the reasonable thing, but we've sensed God speak to us and we've launched out in faith. So what took place in Genesis 16 um, results in a problem of epic proportions. In fact, the world today continues to live with the consequences of Abraham's and Abraham and Sarai's actions, which took place thousands of years ago. Because the son that was born to Abraham and Hagar was Ishmael. And Ishmael became the father of, of the Arab nations. And every time we turn on our TV sets and we see um, conflict in the Middle East, all of that runs its way back in time through to this point in Genesis 16. And this story reminds us that we need to be conscious of the impact our actions and our decisions have on other people. You see, we, we are not islands. Our decisions have, have ripple effects. They have, have an overflow effect that, that touches others. So we've got friends in, in, in South Africa, and um, they bought a number of rabbits. And they had them um, in a cage in their backyard. Good thing to do. Uh, anyway, a neighbour who lived not next door, but was it two doors down, some, some distance away, um, they discovered that there were cracks appearing in their wall uh, of their home. And when the neighbours began to do some investigations, what they discovered was that our friend's rabbits, two doors up, were burrowing underground, going through the next-door neighbour's place to, to their house and had begun to um, create these burrows to the point where the foundations of the house were beginning to collapse. See, there are things that are in our backyard that might appear innocent to us, but they can be having an impact having a consequence somewhere else. Because no one, not one of us is an island. Our decisions have an overflow effect. Now, fortunately, in this story, there is a fourth character who enters into the picture. And this person who enters into this story begins to turn things around. And so in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 7, it says that the angel of the Lord found Hagar. Remember, she's run away from, from, from uh, Abraham and Sarai. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water 
in the wilderness. Now, the angel of the Lord is either a representative or a representation of God. And it says, the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant. What a, listen to this question. It is a great question. Where have you come from and where are you going? Isn't that a great question? Where, 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 where have you come from and where are you going? That, that is worthwhile just pressing the pause button now and all of us spending the next 15 to 20 minutes just reflecting on that one question. Where have we come from and where are we going? And it's really interesting, Sarai's response. She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. She knows where she's come from, but she's got no idea where she's going. And says, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. You know, sometimes God asks us to stay in places that we don't feel are particularly comfortable. God is asking Sarai to go back into a really volatile, asking Hagar to go back into a really difficult, volatile situation. That wouldn't have been particularly nice for Hagar. But why does God want to do this? Because it goes on to say, I will give you more descendants than you, than you can count. Sometimes increase in our lives can only come through being in really tight, difficult circumstances that we would like to avoid. Does that make sense? Sometimes abundance can only come. Increase can only come if we stay in that tight space because it's not where we want to be, but it's where God wants us to be. In verse 11, and the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, and I love this, you are the God who sees me. She also said, I have truly seen the one who sees me. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Now, in the book of Exodus, we, we read about the Hebrew slaves fleeing the oppression of the harsh and unjust rule of, of uh, Pharaoh the ruler of Egypt. And we know the story, what happens to the Hebrew people? They experience what? Deliverance, don't they? Actually, what's really interesting here in Genesis 16 is a parallel story, but it's in reverse. We now, we here we find an Egyptian slave who is forced to flee the oppression of what? A Hebrew oppressor an unjust ruler in the shape of Sarai. And the great thing is, just like Israel, the slave Hagar experiences God's deliverance. Isn't that really interesting? I find that really quite fascinating. So the question is, in this ongoing conflict in the Middle East, is 
So whose side is God on? Is God for Israel or is God for the Palestinians? I would suggest that Genesis 16 is hinting that actually God is on the side of the oppressed. God is on the side of the oppressed, whether it's the Hebrews or whether it's an Egyptian slave. God is on the side of the one who's been oppressed. And what I love about this encounter that, that um, Hagar has with the angel of the Lord is that actually God addresses Hagar by name. And God introduces humanity into the story. What's really interesting is Abraham does not call Hagar by name. He refers to her as she or her. He doesn't, he doesn't give her a name. In other words, to Abraham, Hagar is an anon- anonymous commodity. She's actually a means to an end. She's a factory who will manufacture for him a child. But God comes into the story and gives this slave girl a name. Hagar has value and identity to someone. Not to Abraham, not to Sarai, but to God. And we could think that it's cruel that God, this God, would, would invite Hagar to go back into an abusive situation, but actually it's the kindness of God in action. Because if Hagar stays in the wilderness, she and her child are going to die. There is no support structure in place for this woman and her yet-to-be-born child. And so God calls Hagar to go back to Sarai. But he says to her, you've got to go back with a different attitude. Stop shaming Sarai. And what I want you to do, God says, is move in the opposite spirit. Don't be contemptuous. Go back and be submissive. That's not an easy thing to do, but what it does do is it paves the way for peace in that really tumultuous household. Now, I would say that Lou and I have a, have a fantastic marriage. I, I, I really do. And I believe that the strength of our relationship um, comes from, 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 from Louise because she so quickly and easily takes the posture of humility. And I use the word submission, I, not in that controlling, domineering sense, but she comes, she's, she's humble. Maybe that's... Forget I said the word submission, because it has all sorts of horrible connotations. But she comes with humility. Even when I'm wrong and she's right, she will say, I'm sorry. She moves in the opposite spirit. And it's that, I believe, that posture that she brings has brought to our relationship that brokers resolution and peace. We just can't, I can't argue with somebody that just says, I'm sorry. Now, Humility doesn't guarantee a restored relationship, but it certainly helps.
And as the story unfolds, God is revealed to Hagar as the one who hears and the God who sees. And God validates Hagar by doing two things, by giving her a voice and making her visible. There is not one person sitting in this room today that doesn't desperately need to be given a voice and to be made visible. Within each, every, within each and every one of us, there is a longing to be validated. We just want to be heard. We want somebody to listen to us. We want somebody to notice us. You should never apologize for that. That's the way, as human beings, we're wired. And God does the listening. And God does the seeing. You know, even when we find ourselves like Hagar, running, lost in the wilderness, and we've got no idea where we're going. We, we know where we've come from, but we've got no idea where we're going to. God is the one who hears our cries of distress. And in those times when we feel invisible, we need to know that we are seen by the all-seeing God. Genesis 6, 16 is the low point in Abraham's life. It's that moment where he, he does the greatest of all mistakes. He has a spiritual lapse that has far-reaching consequences. Yet this God who enters the story demonstrates grace and redemptive power. And what Abraham learned through this event is that our mistakes do not disqualify us. I want you to think for a moment about the worst thing that you've ever done and the consequences of your behavior. The people who were hurt and who were affected by your poor actions. No matter how badly you've messed up, we can all take consolation this morning because none of us has messed up as badly as Abraham and Sarai in terms of the consequences of our actions. And the repetitious theme in, in Abraham, we've been doing this series, is that the repetitious theme of the father of our faith is that God works in Abraham's life. God continues to work in Abraham's life despite his failures. And what we see as the story unfolds is that the birth of Ishmael did not disqualify Abraham and Sarai from giving birth to the child of promise, Isaac. God's promise still came to pass, even though this couple messed up big time. If you want to just put on the next slide, thanks. So next time you begin to feel like your life is um, feeling like a soap opera, which it does, I mean, you know, am I the only person that sometimes feels my, like my life is... This, am I the only one? Does anybody, anybody else want to own up to the fact that... 
that sometimes life is just messy and we, we, we kind of, oh my goodness me, what's going on around? Just remember Genesis 16 and the lessons we learn. We can learn how not to communicate and how not to deal with conflict. We can learn the lesson that we need to be cautious when making decisions from a place of frustration. We need to understand that there are some things that can only come about by God's intervention and being rational and pragmatic is not always um, the answer. But Christianity is knowing when to walk by faith and when to walk in wisdom. And that the tension between those two things. We also learn that our actions can have far-reaching consequences. The rabbits in our backyard can be undermining others. And the great news is that our mistakes do not disqualify us. We might have given birth to a tribe of Ishmaels, but God in His grace and His goodness does not deny us our Isaacs. And then the other thing that we learn from Genesis 16 is that God hears us and God sees us. Your voice is heard. You are not an invisible person. God sees you. Even when you're running, even when you've gone into the wilderness, even when you don't know uh, left from right, God hears your cries of distress and God sees you in that vulnerable place. Take some time out um, to reflect on um, Genesis 16. We learn from Abraham not just the highlights that we've been talking about covenant and how wonderful that is, but also the lowlights of Abraham's life can be instructive um, for us. Loving God, I pray for every person here in this place today. Father, for those who, um, God, are feeling like Hagar, unheard and unseen. Lord, I pray that your validation, your voice would break in and that, God, they would know that they are seen by the all-seeing God. Father, I pray for those in this place this morning that are, God, feeling like an Abraham or, or, or Sarah, that they've, they've made too many mistakes and and that they've written themselves off. Lord, I just pray that you would encourage them this morning through your word. That they can still give birth to Isaac. So the promise of God can still come to pass. We bless you, Lord. Hope is built.